Welcome back to the MS Twins podcast, where again I am joined by Christina Exter, and we will attempt to finish our conversation since we got cut off <laughs> last time. Um, so. Sorry, somebody's going by on a bike. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's. It it was interesting when I was first diagnosed, like not only because of my young age, but because they, I mean, MS therapies and everything, they've come very far in 21 years. Yeah, they've definitely come a long age or a long way since uh, you were younger and you were first diagnosed because that was a young age and back then they had really no clue what they were dealing with or how to even deal with it. Most, most neurologists didn't. it. Um, because it, again, it was such a broad spectrum. Yeah. They call the umbrella disease. Everybody's different. People are exhibiting different, you know, symptoms. Um, nerves are just, they're, they're crazy. They really are in the way that they function. Um, and so I think, in your case, when you were younger, what blows my mind is that they did the spinal tap even after they had imaging. Because it really, now, it's just so simple. It's imaging. Just imaging. Yeah. Like, there's n- no need. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I know there's a need out there for a spinal tap for... Certain specific things, but not for this anymore. Exactly. You do not need to even, like... I, re- I remember when I was first diagnosed, um, I went on line and I was searching things. I, actually, I hadn't been fully diagnosed yet. What it was is I had my primary care physician had done just a regular MRI on my spine because I kept having this crazy pain there and I, and I had the numbing. So we MRI my spine without contrast. And down at the bottom it said to have further imaging done on everything, even my brain, with and without contrast, to rule out delimiting diseases such as MS. Okay. So I'm like, well, great. I go then to the internet and I start to, and I don't say to go Google doctor, don't go Google search your symptoms because you'll get diagnosed like you're dying. But Right. I did take into account, like, okay, so they're wanting to rule out MS. So let's go look at MS and see what, you know, what's out there. And I looked at several different articles. I looked at several different um, types of MS because there's literally, like, you know, your remittent MS, your progressive MS. So, like, I have the progressive secondary MS. Um, and then you have, like, aggressive as well, which right. is horrifying. Yeah. So I went and I researched all these different things. And one of the things it did talk about was spinal tapping. And I thought to myself, like, holy crud muffins. Like, I don't want a spinal tap. (laughs) No, thank you. Um, But my neurologist, when I got referred to the said neurologist, was like, no, that's such an outdated form of diagnosing MS now because you really don't need to do that anymore. All you really need to do is simple imaging. And then my, and that was my old neurologist, my new neurologist who I absolutely love. She even said that 
if they had MRI'd me 25 years ago, or not 25 years ago, sorry, excuse me, it would have been 15 years ago when I first had my first flare-up, my feet went numb. Okay. And then it went away. And I had this old fuddy-duddy doctor in the ER that, you know, just did blood tests and urine and said nothing was wrong and sent me home. Okay. But she's like, guaranteed if they would have MRI'd your brain right then and there on the spot, they would have saw the lesions. We could have treated you then and you probably wouldn't be as aggressive or as advanced as you are now. So then it makes me speculate, like, is this something that you're 16? Did you show any signs sooner than 16 that if they had caught it and imaged you, you wouldn't be as advanced or we could have slowed progression in you? I mean, maybe at the, at the beginning, like... So can it be preventative? Some people can prevent having diabetes by proper diet, exercise, right? Yeah. So can MS be prevented? So you got to think about all those autoimmunes. And now they might not even classify it as an autoimmune. Which is interesting. How could they not, like, classify a disease that your your own immune system is literally attacking and eating your own body? Because they think that it's something outside that's attacking you first, then causing your immune system to then combat back. So there's an outside force or an outside invisible thing called MS that comes in they don't think that ms is something your body produces so now they're thinking it could be something um environmental like let's say your food your diet so one of the things that blows my mind that a lot of people don't know about is the grains that we eat today are not the same grains that our ancient ancestors ate not even remotely close they've been genetically modified genetically grown and genetically processed. Yeah. So they're totally different than what the, you know, our ancient ancestors used to grow. Or the meat, same thing. And the way that the industry is, is if you look at our food industry, big corporations like Kellogg's and, you know, companies like that, they own all these business, all these foods. I mean, look at how, you can walk into the grocery stores here and you have like 50 billion different cereals. Yeah. You go elsewhere in Japan, like, in, for example, because I have a friend who lives in Japan, they don't have that. My brother literally just sent our friend in Japan a Christmas present of uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch and, like, all those big ones, you know, because they don't get them. They don't have them there. So, like, our diets, I think, make a huge difference as well. And I know that when I first started... I started to have massive problems with digesting certain foods from gluten. And then I started to have severe food allergies and just allergies in general, which I found interesting. And then you're talking about your allergies. Yeah. Which was, you know. Bee stings, peanuts, and penicillin. Yeah. And again, allergies, histamines are produced in your bone marrow. So, 
I would like to think that this is something definitely prevented. You know, we could either slow it or prevent it somehow. Whether it's with diets, um, proper medications. Because that's another thing. How many medications is there for MS? There's several different medications for MS, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like Tecfidera, it was not used for MS originally. It was actually used for psoriasis in the UK. And they just... Interesting. Mm-hmm. And they just found that people with psoriasis that also t- happened to have MS happened to have longer periods between flare-ups while on the Tecfidera. So then it got approved for use with MS. So some of these medications weren't even designed for our specific autoimmune. Yeah. It's like, there, there, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that when you look back in history... It, it, how it gets in the mainstream is like an oops. Oopsies. Yeah. <laughs> or coincidence, you know, a happenstance, as I would like to say. Um, I mean, there are instances where, you know, you have something that works for one thing. And then surprisingly, it also works for another thing. But I mean, typically when you have like, like, for example, when you have a heart condition, there's not and you have a specific heart condition, there's, like, generally one medication you take for it, you know? Benazepril, Lasix, all these things. Lasix helps, you know, all the time when you have stuff like that as diuretics and things. You don't get, like, a bunch of different heart medications to choose from. Your doctor doesn't go, oh, hey, you have a heart condition, this heart condition. Here's all the different medications you can choose from. You pick one and then let me know which one works best for you. But with MS, you have that. Why? Why do you have that? Why is it like, hey, it's just a broad spectrum of everything. And if it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. It's like when I was initially uh, diagnosed, like, there were three. It was Avonex, Beocerone, Copaxone. Yeah. That was it. Now, there's like, you have... The injections, self-injections at home, okay? You have orals or you have infusions. Yeah. So you can choose, oh, well, maybe I want to do orals and I don't want to have to take injections or give myself injections. I can just do the oral medications every day, twice a day. And it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad to have. I mean, I already take gabapentin multiple times a day, so it's like, I just had to throw that into the mix. Yeah. But unfortunately, it wasn't big enough for my type of MS. So it just kept progressing. And I've changed my diet. I've changed my... I don't eat 100%, right? But, um, you know, I did make a change in my diet and my overall health and everything like that to see if that would help too. It just still didn't slow down. Yeah. So, but that again, speaking with that, I didn't cut everything unhealthy out. I still, you know, eat unhealthy things moderately. So, yeah. But that's why <clears throat> I know, like, you want to talk about the orthodox point of views too. Um, 
one of the things is like our monastic fasting. So today is a fast and we follow the fast calendars. Um, just like, you know, they fasted as well back then, uh, during the, when, the time when Jesus walked and stuff like that. It's actually extremely healthy for you. Um, science has found that when you're fasting or you do intermittent fasting, as they call it, and we're not the only religion that does it. Buddhism does it. Hinduism does it. Um, intermittent fasting actually helps clean your body out. So your body will eat fat reserves. It will clean out your liver, your kidneys and basically help cycle all the bad stuff out of you while you're fasting. And so like today we can only eat um, things that, well, this would kill you. It'd be like nuts. <laughs> so you can have nuts. Um, you can have uh, basically anything raw today. So like your fruits, your vegetables. And they do say bread is okay. I think what they mean by like bread is okay is like you can do like an un like unleavened flatbread that they used to do back then. You know, they typically would just mix like water and flour, I guess, together. And they yeah. would make flatbreads. So yeah. that you're allowed to all have. But there are days where, um, other days where it's called monostatic fasting. And you can only have one meal. Like the monks, you think about they worked out in the field all day long. And then they would come in for like one meal. And then that'd be like it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, when I fast, um, I do because uh, I'm on so many like pills. I do a uh, bread and water fast. That's interesting because one of the things a lot of is bread. So... I mean, I wish I, if I eat too much bread, my stomach will get upset, but I do love bread. <laughs> that must be my neighbors. Does that pick up on that? Probably. Ah. But whatever. It's a bunch of kids next door. It sounds like they're having fun. Oh yeah, they always are. They're really, really nice college students. But yeah, no, um... So we have fasting today, but I don't always follow the fasts. Like, I didn't follow it this morning. <laughs> so even though I'm supposed to follow them, or I would like to follow them daily. And that's another thing is also teaching you self-discipline, I guess, to be more disciplined in your actions. Yeah. Which is hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be really hard for me because, well, I love food. Um, don't we all? I know I do, for sure. And that's the thing. So, like, I can learn how to cook more healthy along the, uh, you know, fasting guidelines. But everybody else in my family, like my husband, he can't live on nuts and berries. He's got to have steak and potatoes. He does, He's a hard-working electrocute. You know, he goes to, gets up at, like, 3 in the morning to go to work all day. To do electrical work. So he's got to have, like, actual steak and potatoes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't blame him. I like steak and potatoes, too. So he doesn't... Physically, he cannot always follow the fast. And that's fine. There's, you know, our... Another thing is every time the big fasts come around, 
especially like great Lent and stuff like that, you know? Lent for us is literally like going full-blown vegan. You're not allowed to eat pretty much anything at all. You can't have any meat, any dairy, no fish, no eggs, um, no cheese, no wine, no olive oil. So all of these things are taken out, right? And actually a lot of the people who follow the fast, they end up losing a lot of weight because of it, you know, and it's, it's pretty, it's very healthy for your body to purge like that, um, every once in a while. But whenever it comes around, the father always gives the same, um, homily or a sermon. Right. Um, and it's always about how you're not to show that you're fasting. Don't contort your face. Don't make a sour face and contort your face and make it look like, oh, oh, because that's not what that's for. You know what I mean? So a lot of people will use that to go around and be like, oh, look, I'm fasting. I'm such a great servant of God. In reality, that's not the point. That's not the point. And so that's another thing. You know, don't be a boastful servant of God. Um, just be a modest servant and do your duties. Right. And if you fast, you fast for yourself. That's it. And so in my house, not everybody, I can't have my 87-year-old grandma fasting. Right? (laughs) My two boys would look at me like, yeah, right, mom. Is there... And then my husband, no way. Like my mom, I I remember my mom was just here and she made a vegetable soup and it was really good. Very hearty. And literally, my husband leans over to me and asks me, um, real quietly. He goes, uh... Is there meat in this? I was like, no. And he just went, oh. Okay. <laughs> Very sad. I felt so bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like that. I I will. I I do love a vegetable soup. However, it's got like vegetable beef. Exactly. That's. But. You know, that's. Neither here nor there. <laughs> but, yeah. So, what what else kind of has your, like, specific religion, like, what makes it stand out? For me? Yeah. I, I would honestly have to say it's, the the spiritual aspect of it. Okay. It's a very quiet spiritual. Uh, for example, like when when uh, you guys have like worship service, you know, you have, and there's no, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of it. By the way, praising the Lord any way you do it. Um. But for for like your guys's worship services, you have you know a guitarist, a drummer. A singer, maybe backup vocalists. We have the choir loft. We have chanters. Um, and they sing in different tones. And the main reason for the tones is so that, like, you're not distracted from okay. singing your praises to the Lord. You know what I mean? Because, like, some people, uh, oh, I can sing. And they're loud or they're jumping around. So for me, it was more of a quieter, more spiritual 
connection. Um, I had been in non-denominations before. Um, unfortunately, I had bad experiences in these churches. Um, I've been in Catholic churches. Uh, and it wasn't until I met the father at the Orthodox Church. Basically, basically what happened was, <laughs> I'll be real. <clears throat> I found out I was pregnant before I was married. My husband and I had been living together, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend, for three years. So we were living in sin, if you so to speak. Um, on my 25th birthday, my husband proposed to me. Three months later, I found out I was pregnant. Probably, like, I think I was a month and a half along. So, I went to a church locally right over here around the corner. A big one. Because um, I told my husband, you know, I'm not going to have this baby out of faith. I, one of the things I never did, even though, like, I left churches because of bad experiences, I never, ever left my faith. I never left my creator. I started to have more of a devoted personal relationship with my God. Yeah. Um, our God. Because that's just it, right? Um, but I went to this church, and we wanted them to marry us. Because we wanted to be married before the baby. So we were planning on getting married before we ever found out we were pregnant. It's just now, okay, well, now we just need to move our wedding up a bit, right? Well, this church, and this is a church that my cousin was going to. And, you know, he even worked the soundboard and everything back behind there for them. Um... They wanted my husband and I to stay apart for a year before they would marry us. Like, live apart for a whole year before they would marry us. Wow. And I'm pregnant. Well, because we were living in sin, apparently. But what would be more sinful? Giving birth to a baby out of wedlock with your husband not in the home? Being pregnant every night, laying in bed while your baby develops inside of you with your husband not home? You know, so it was, it was very, for me, it was more of a smack to the face than it was a uplifting, you know, and like, I was like, okay, who's going to cast the first stone at me? Holy guacamole. Like, I get what, I get what you guys are saying. I know I've been living in sin. I'm not, you know, consider me a Mary Magdalene who left everything and was in the red quarter. I don't care, but I have come back. And I'm asking to be married by a holy man so that I can give birth to this baby and not be out of wedlock to the husband that I do love. Here we are 14 years later, two beautiful children, you know, and I went to, after that, I went to the Orthodox church and of course they wouldn't marry me there either because not because I was pregnant. Because we were not members of the church. You have to be chrismated in. Oh, okay. Or baptized in to the faith. Because they take their faith very seriously. That's another thing. It's not just something where people can come and go. If you're going to come and you're going to take communion and you're going to take holy bread and you're going to take the holy communion, then you're, you, you are going to be a member of the church and you're going to understand why you're doing this because not only do we make the bread ourselves we go through a very rigorous process to make the bread so that it is the proper type it's blessed by the fathers the moment church starts the fathers are up there blessing communion 
all throughout the entire process. Like you don't hear what they're saying up there because they're back there behind the altar. But literally what they're doing is they're asking for prayers and blessings upon everything for everybody who's going to go up there and take Holy Communion. Yeah. Well, plus as a parishioner, it's, Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. No. Like what so, they're saying. The only reason why they wouldn't marry me, not because I was pregnant and living in sin, but because I was not a parishioner, so they couldn't marry me there. The fathers couldn't. But we met with the father of the church, and he said, "You know, so you sinned." And I said, "Yes." His name was Father Michael Lewis. Amazing man. God rest his soul. He died from pancreatic cancer. Amazing. Told him my story. I told him my journey. I told him my past histories with other churches where, like, kind of the same thing happened where I felt like I was more so judged for my sins in confession as opposed to, like, being guided. Two things he said to me. He said, well, and he was sitting there in his vestments, you know, his collar, his cross, looking all priestly-like, right? All fatherly-like. Yeah. And up in his office with the cross and Jesus is there. And he looks at me and he goes... I watch Family Guy, <laughs> and I think it's hysterical. Yeah, I gotta go to hell. And I said, "No, Father, you're not." And he goes, "Okay, so if you come to confession, you can tell me. You know, of course, there are certain things like if you come and tell me you murdered somebody, I'm gonna have to go report you." Right. But he goes, "When you come to confession, you're not coming to confess to me, so I can judge you." Okay, and reprimand you. You're coming so that I can help guide you to make the right choices because that's what I am. I'm a guide between you and God. That's my job is to guide you in the spiritual walk and the spiritual journey here on earth. And that was probably the first time that I have ever not felt judged in a church for something for sins, for something I had done because that I, I also belonged when I was younger to a non-denominational church locally right over here. I would go to choir every Sunday. I even joined the 9 a.m. service to sing in the choir because they had like five elderly people singing in their choir. It was horrible. I got more younger kids to come and sing in the choir. But, you know, I had a boyfriend at the time that we had been dating for like three years and we were close. And then he had like just suddenly broke up with me, broke my heart. I was like, what happened? And I had confessed to the father, or sorry, to the pastor, the youth pastor at the time. And he basically, I don't know, you know, basically told me, like, I couldn't go to the youth groups anymore. I couldn't teach the kids anymore for something that had happened between me and my boyfriend. And because, you know, we were a little bit more intimate than we should have been at a younger age. But I confessed. And it was like they stripped me of everything and not him and didn't let me, you know, teach the young preschool classes anymore. I couldn't go to the youth groups anymore. I felt shunned and shamed more than I felt guided. It was heartbreaking. And I remember I left the brick, like say the brick and mortar church for years. For years I did not attend any services anywhere I want to say maybe from like the age of 17 till 25 when I had my son I didn't attend church anywhere and it wasn't until I gave birth to my son the day that I gave birth to my son I was sitting at St. Joseph's over here 
Now, mind you, we had started to attend St. Luke's Orthodox Church. Okay. Going to services on Sunday. Not partaking in communion, but just going. Because, you know, we wanted to figure out what it was all about. Um, Because, of course, when you first get there, you have no idea, guys, what is going on. Like, no idea. These people talk in a different language. You're like, oh, the prayers of all the fall across yourself 50 times. Stand up, sit down, stand. You're like, why are you doing all this, right? Because there's so much tradition in it. But the day that I gave birth to my son at St. Joe's, Father Michael Lewis showed up to bless my kid. I just wanted to bless him. Yeah. And then we had him baptized, and he was a member of the church before I was. They have always been humbling and caring and kind. When I went through what I just recently went through with my husband, no judgments, just prayers. You know, Father John was like, you know what, just hang in there, say say your prayers, say your Jesus prayer, which is a very short prayer. And hang in there and say your prayers to God because it'll be okay. And they're always they've always been very compassionate over there, very kind over there, very understanding of man's man's sins, man's crutches, you know, pretty much. Right. As opposed to some churches, not all churches, not all denominationals, not all, you know, Baptist, Baptist church, not, not everybody's like this because I'm sure there's Orthodox churches out there that are not, you know, but, um, it just, it was, some of them like to hide their sins here on earth and act perfect and righteous and holy. And we all get those. We all get those Christians, those fake Christians, right? Yeah. And that's the one thing that I just can't do. After everything that I've been through and all the life that I've dealt with, you know, growing up, my parents divorced when I was 10. My mom be- my mom had issues. Um, being raised by a single mom was difficult. And it was not easy. And so when I got to that point and I found this church, it was more like um, we follow God's word and God's law. That's it. What Jesus Christ wrote and taught the apostles, that's it. And so pretty much that's what brought me to that church in the first place. I, I, I've taken, I think I took root there once. And I think it was only once. Sometimes people, some people will only go there one time. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> it is, there's a lot of tradition. They haven't changed since the day that Jesus sent the apostles out. They have not changed their churches. You got to think about that. The great schism happened. They they did not change their churches. They did not change their traditions. You know, women are not allowed behind the altar. Yeah. Okay. They're not allowed behind the altar. That's... that's... Seems kind of intense, but okay. <laughs> yeah, you could say like, "What hashtag me too?" Right? That's not fair. But no, women are not allowed behind the altar. You can't go back behind there. And there are very specific reasons for that, you know. And that's where you have to kind of dig more deeper into the reasons why they don't. The priests or the fathers. Um. I don't know if it's like a distraction type of a thing back there or what. I know us ladies be fine and everything like that, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
there's also that's why you'll see a lot of um a lot of people are like oh but are these people in your church like muslim no why would you say that? well because they have their heads covered and a lot of the women will cover their hair because the hair is considered your crown of glory and so it is a distraction and that's where you go so this is actually called another thing i really like um ancient mythology and they call this the ancient faith you'll even listen to like I have a program called ancient faith radio um and the hair actually goes back to the fallen the fallen angels fell in love with the women here on earth and they had beautiful hair and they were beautiful women and then they made you know they had their offspring like the giants and stuff like that that they say and that's pre-flood before God flooded everything so I think that's where some of these traditions come from and then the eastern tradition they wear their wedding rings on their right hands interesting I don't know if that has to do with like sitting at the right hand of the father or whatever but over in the eastern world as we say they wear their ring fingers on the right hand there's a lot of tradition in the east that got distorted when it came over to the West, if that makes any sense. There's a lot of also history within biblical texts that got distorted as well, or traditions that got distorted as well. So I always find it interesting because I feel like in the Orthodox faith, they kind of like to investigate or go into detail a little bit more in our history and our ancient faith which I find extremely fascinating. I want to know what Jesus was up to and what he was doing and teaching the apostles. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, one day we're going to get to ask him. Wouldn't that be amazing? It is going to be amazing. You know, that... And that's the thing that blows my mind is that um, in the Orthodox faith, we have a, a creed. And I believe in the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth, and of all things visible and invisible. So what's the invisible? Do you believe in guardian angels? Yes and no. So yes and no. So yes, how? Like, yes, you believe, you because it does say that God appoints guardian angels to humans. Right. Like In and- biblical text, right? Yeah, and then also, like, looking back on my life, there's some stuff I've done that it's like, I probably shouldn't be here. So maybe you have more than one guardian angel, because you can. Yeah, and they are working overtime. angels are immortal beings. Right. Beings of light, they say. So what's unseen? Now, humans can only see on a short spectrum of light. Everything else outside of there is unseen. But he is the maker of heaven and of earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why, another reason why, like, I used to sit, when I first started going to the Orthodox Church, I used to sit and listen and have no idea what was going on. Where are we? What's happening? Something about cherubims and seraphims. I don't know who the Theotokos is. I don't know why they even revere Mary so much, and all these things, right? Um, and it was all new for me, but the more I learned about it, 
and the reasons why they do it and say it, the more it made sense because the creator that they bended knee to, he is the alpha, the omega that is never was. <clears throat> it also doesn't deny, because like if you look at the Bible, another thing the Orthodox Church doesn't deny, or some Orthodox churches, maybe not all of them, is that if you look at the Bible, it talks about gods. It literally says gods. In right. the Old Testament, it said God held God, big G, held counsel with the gods of Egypt. What well, makes a god? A god is anything that gets worshipped by man. So feasibly, we could say Lucifer is the god of our time right now. Would you not say that? Oh, for sure. Lucifer is very well worshipped. He has made himself a little god, a little G, a little G god, right? Yeah. And so they don't deny that. They don't deny that there are other things out there that man has made and worshipped, right? Because the Great Samaritan, they worshipped multiple gods. Um, and let's see, Abraham was pulled out of her and taken to worship one god when he was taken from, you know, Samaria or the Samaritan world where they worshipped many gods. That must have been hard to be pulled out of something you're raised in you know from yes to be taken that must yeah. be that had to have been some very strong and powerful faith right and so when we look back at our ancient ancestors our, our forefathers abraham um you know david all those things you look back at those stories right it doesn't deny the fact that there were other things here other beings before angels cherubim seraphims um and like the guardian angels they're not anything to be messed with they're very well equipped they're god's elite army yeah think about it and i love stuff like that i've always been absolutely fascinated because somewhere down inside i've always felt like there's more there's just more to what i'm being taught it wasn't just for me <clears throat> It wasn't just your typical, um, oh, Jesus loves the children and we celebrate, you know, the birth of Christ and things like that. When I had joined this church, so many more mysteries of God had opened up for me and so many more things that we didn't talk about in the other churches that I had been raised in. And those were things I wanted to talk about. I don't know if, you know, some people think that Oh, you're a conspiracy. You're crazy. Okay. No, I'm not. Jesus came from heaven and was made man. Then three days later, he rose again, ascended down into hell, then rose back again, then rose back up again. Right. So you're going right. to tell me that 10 foot tall angels don't exist? You just can't see them. And so that's the thing. And they always say that, too, around us, there's always a spiritual battle around you. Well, yeah, spiritual warf warfare is real. Yeah, so spiritual warfare could be seen as what? You're being tempted by demons and your angels are helping you? Maybe guiding you in a different path? Because you even said it yourself, right? Years ago, you've done stuff that you shouldn't be here. So maybe right. you have more than one guardian angel. And we revere our guardian angels. Guardian angels, 
we actually have a prayer specifically for them. Because, like, legit, I feel like if my angel is out there working overtime for me, because I'm the same as you, I look back and go, man, I should not be alive when I used to go cliff jumping as a kid. I lived in Arizona. There was this cliff called Devil's Crack. And in the middle of it was a tree submerged underwater. And you had to run from the middle of the crack and jump way far out. Yeah. You know? And I think about stuff like that. So you have angels protecting you. I have some exciting news. While Garrett is handling his personal things, um, Stina has generously agreed to fill in for the time being. So she will be my temporary co-host. Exciting things to come. Thank you for listening to this episode of the MS Twins Podcast. Garrett, Stina, and I all thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. Thank you very much, and God bless.